really the goal is just to use our stories to bring veterinary medicine to life for the pet caretakers of the world. Uh, and we're doing it because we believe that educating these caretakers is the most powerful thing that we can do to improve the life quality of all of the pets that we love. Hello everyone, Dr. Natalie Keith. Dr. Josiah Dame. And we're back with Vet Tales. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's uh, hopefully going to be a technology um, like friendly week for me. <laughs> I'm <laughs> struggling hardcore. I figured out finally I had to go back and clear the browser history on my computer at home because it was somehow like gridlocking the soundtrack. That's interesting. You're yeah. logged into too many places. Yeah, well, yeah, it was just three, like two here and one at home. But the, I guess my one at home, like the Microsoft Edge, was like not compatible. Or hmm. Anyway, I love what I do. <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, so we'll see how this week goes. If it's late uh, launching, you'll know that I had problems again. Anyway, um, today we're going to talk about an organ that every animal has, and that's uh, muy importante. Very important. Yeah. Uh, the heart. The heart. Yay! I, Dr. Dame and I both just really love cardiology, though. Love cardiology. <laughs> oh, now he's being sarcastic, but he, but no, we do. <laughs> no, I do. He, I mean, you. we're both internal medicine kind of geeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, do you hear the, I, in case anybody hears all of the tractors rumbling in the that's background? That's good noise. That's good noise. That's the sound of progress. Yep. You're going to hear bangs, beeping, and yeah. big tires. And then someday, uh, once we get into the new building, we'll have there's a... The big tires. There's the big tires, yeah. Um, we're going to have a better soundproof area to yeah. do our podcast yeah. in. So for those of you who are like, this quality is... Then I'm like, sorry. Just ignore it. <laughs> Just ignore it. We're doing the best we can with what we have. Um, anyway, so the hearts. Yeah, we, we do yeah, the we internal do medicine. love the heart. Yeah. We, we love the dogs who have the heart issues. Yeah. I'm really excited, too, because we have... And uh, and, oh, yeah. Just a, Oh, my gosh. We didn't even... Yeah. We constantly just pin the tail on the cat. Yeah. At the end, we're like, we and do. cats. And cats. <laughs> Sorry, cats are cats. so weird when it comes to hearts, too. Like, they may need their own episode. I had one yesterday. Yeah, you did. Yeah. That's right. We'll get into that later. Yeah. So, um, basically, we have this uh, drug rep that was originally a echo technician or, like, an echocardiology. So, did um, ultrasounds on the heart in the human side and then became a drug rep and, um, and a veterinarian. Like, a veterinarian and then a drug rep. Like, and now she goes around and travels and, like, gives people cardiology courses. So she's coming to the clinic in about a month, which is super exciting for us to be able to learn from her. Um, and then we're hoping to actually go do some CE as well on that. So, because in Oklahoma, the nearest cardiologist to us is, like, Dallas. Dallas. And the wait list, or the wait, uh, wait time on that is, like... Usually a month or two. Um, yeah. So, spoiler alert, I was working in Dallas for three years. Um, there would be moments where I was like, this dog needs a cardiologist today. And the, really the only option for us at that point would be to like go through an emergency center and mm -hmm. then try to get through to a cardiologist that way. Because otherwise, yeah, it's depending on who you're trying to get into. If it's the traveling cardiologist, sometimes four, it was like three to four months. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, the more like established building cardiologist you have is one to two months. And I mean, and it just like <clears throat> you don't have that kind of time. Mm -mm. So anyway... 
Uh, so that's on the project list is um, to become as competent in ultrasound of the heart as uh, possible to decrease the times where we actually would need a referral. So and you can always with technology nowadays. There's ways to like video capture what you're seeing on the echo mm-hmm. and sending it to a specialist if that was to be needed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got some more options in mm-hmm. general, but that's a tricky little beast. Um, and uh, like I said, everybody's got a heart and everybody needs it, and so um, we have to. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work properly, and so we have to like you know intervene. Um, you know, I think that uh, I don't know how to like start this elephant issue you know like one bite at a time thing Mm -hmm. but we have this uh i think that we should maybe describe a little bit how the heart is working and then like what's going wrong in those mechanisms so um i wish you guys could see us because dr dame just flipped over to a diagram because i live for diagrams yeah um but essentially you have this whole this this four chamber situation in the heart where um, you need the blood to go first, I guess, you, I mean, it's chicken and the egg thing, but let's just say first to the lungs, then back to the heart, and then it switches sides, and then the left ventricle is going to pump it all the way around the body, and then it's going to come back into the heart and then go back to the lungs. Like, that's the most rudimentary yep. way to describe the heart function. I'm so glad Natalie's here because y'all would get an earful. <laughs> I mean, I can't simplify sometimes. Yeah, no, it's um, that's. I don't know if it's because I'm good at it or because I have to keep it simple <laughs> to survive. Uh, but that's that's it in a nutshell. And so you have this sort of um, this figure eight in a way is what's happening in my brain mm-hmm. with the with the little loop on the top and the big loop on the bottom. Perfect. Yep. And um, and so what will happen is if any any of these chambers or the, the separations between the chambers, whether it's a wall or a valve or what, if it's not functioning properly, then you essentially get um, congestion or backflow. I like to call it when I'm talking to owners and I'm like, I hear a murmur. Mm-hmm. I'm like, all that means is there's turbulent flow of blood. So it's just not going the right direction. It's just kind of swirling. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you get the whoosh. The whooshing is the swirling. Describe. Yeah. So, and also like when you hear that blood dub, blood dub, it's doors opening and closing mm-hmm. um, to the chambers to keep blood flowing in the correct direction. So if the door doesn't latch properly, that's when you get that. Instead of your beautiful lub dub, lub yeah. dub that you hear on all the ER shows. Yeah. yeah. And then you get the lub lub Oh, those are fun. Yeah. And then, uh, just since this is an audio, um, <laughs> we'll keep with our sound effects, <laughs> you can also get... We're fully artists now. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we'll have a mixtape later. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also get, um, like, arrhythmias. Um, so, like, with the cats especially, um, you'll get, like, a gallop rhythm. So, instead of lub-dub, you've got da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, which is literally like a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's the shoes in the dryer with the AFib. Yep. Are you going to give that one a crack? (laughs) (laughs) No. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it because I I do this for clients all the time. But uh, think of shoes in a dryer. So it's like and it's like this really weird, irregularly irregular is what we call it. As opposed to the the gallop rhythm is regularly irregular so mm-hmm. even though it's irregular it's constant it's the same yeah and cats that could be 
normal. It can be normal. A gallop rhythm. So. Yeah. Um, I love cats in cardiology because... Mm, they didn't read a book. They didn't. They, they can literally have heart disease with no murmur, or they can have a murmur and have no heart disease. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fun? It's frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Especially when clients want you to be able to listen to the animal and tell them if the heart's okay, and you're like, nope. Yeah. But we have some tools. We do. Which maybe I'll talk about at the tail. Yeah. Um, of my client yesterday. Yeah, yeah, because we can... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's a, that's a pretty good start on how the yeah. heart works. And, you know, so you've got basically you're trying to get blood flow to go in a certain direction at a certain rhythm. Mm-hmm. And if there's um, a hole or a leak somewhere, it's not going to go in the right direction. And if it doesn't beat properly for whatever reason, it's not going to go in it's the right not, Yeah, it's also not going to be getting pushed at the right in the right way. So either way... Um, you're going to have congestion or backflow, and that causes problems in different areas of the body depending on where the problem originates. Exactly. Yeah. That was... We're done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Y'all are cardiologists now. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Yep. Publish your book and put me as a footnote. (laughs) I got my education on vet tales. (laughs) So, Okay. All right, so that's how the heart works. Why don't you start with what can go wrong? Yeah, let's. I guess let's go by age. So cats will be at the end, like we talked about. But for dogs, if we have a 8, 12-week-old puppy come in and I hear a heart murmur, the first thing I'm going to think of is a PDA because that's going to be the most common reason why a small puppy is going to have a heart murmur. PDA is an acronym for patent ductus arteriosus which is basically um, a, a hole. Um, and so... Which should be there when a puppy is, or a kitten... Infant. Is, yeah, like in utero, especially. In utero, sorry, yeah. Um, but... Because um, you don't need the lungs when you're in the womb. Yes. <laughs> um, but instead, <clears throat> it um, doesn't close, um, which then leads to a very loud heart murmur. Um, so, like terribly terribly loud a washing machine yeah just um and sadly this is not like a medical treatment um most of the time so this is when we're gonna go okay let's do some baseline x-rays maybe we'll look at it with the echo and then we're gonna recommend referral for surgery with a cardiologist yeah there's no other way really to deal with these other than surgery and which is really um, unfortunately expensive. Mm-hmm. I had uh, that, you know, that pair of boxers that we had that came in and they actually, their murmurs were not that loud until they were like five or six months old, which was a, a little unusual. Um, but they were quoted somewhere in the neighborhood of like four grand per dog, per dog yeah. to fix it, to go in, get your evaluation, find the problem, fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. And- Per cardiologists, when you talk to them, they have a good success rate, um, and you know they will live a complete life once it's corrected. There can be obviously it's heart surgery. Yeah. There can be issues that arise um, with that. Yeah, surgery. but um, unfortunately, like uh, I had a puppy, um, so sad. Um, we found the murmur right as uh, they were bringing it in for their initial evaluation. Just picked it up from the breeder, yeah. and um, they. 
did not pursue surgery and uh, that puppy passed away at about seven months of age so it was heartbreaking so we're start the early puppies man that these are these are downers they don't tend to go well unless the owner can pursue surgery yeah so um, but yeah basically essentially in a nutshell it's just that 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 shunt that is taking the blood to bypass the lungs because they're not breathing in utero should shrivel up and go away when they're born and in these puppies it does not yeah would that be a pretty accurate succinct way to okay yeah all right so what's next so next would be not so you can have other shunts in other portions of the the heart sure um so that's it's still gonna sound like a heart murmur, but you're not gonna really know where exactly it is until you do that echo. So, but until proven otherwise, it's PDA. Mm -hmm. um, if there's a heart murmur, and then you can have technically in quotations heart disease um, or congenital defects of the heart that don't cause a murmur, but they cause a lot of issues. Oh, and mercy. so that's gonna be the PRAA, which is the persistent right um, aortic. aortic artery. Arch. Um, arch. I'm so sorry. Persistent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. Dame is like only one third of the way into his coffee this morning. So. <laughs> Persistent, right? Aortic arch. And so that's where you're supposed to have this, the, this little <clears throat> blood vessel that's supposed to go away. But instead, it stays and it chokes the esophagus. Yeah. That's the best way to say. So it is. It creates a mega esophagus because essentially you tie a string around your esophagus that's not supposed to be there, that's connected to the heart. And then this puppy, after it switches off of milk to hard food at about seven to eight weeks mm -hmm. um, or sooner, um, it starts to regurge, which is where they open their mouth and food just comes out. Yeah, because the esophagus will distend and stretch in front of the little rubber band and nothing's getting past it. Yep. And so, yeah. And so, again, that is a surgical procedure yeah. where you have to go in, ligate that, and cut it, and that is open heart surgery and terrifying. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if it has significant blood flow still, like if it's still moving blood, huge concern, obviously. Sometimes they're not, and that's Yeah, sometimes it's just scary. like a little rubber band in there, but it's still terrifying. I mean, any kind of open thorax surgery is just... Terrifying. Terrifying. Definitely in a tiny, tiny puppy. Oh, um, mercy. Yeah, and with those, you, you... Sadly, it's tough because they need to eat, and so it's something that, you know, you may want to do that surgery a little bit sooner. Versus PDAs, you can wait a little bit until mm -hmm. they're bigger, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, that's and so they, true. I've actually had a really small puppy that I diagnosed with a PDA at, in Dallas, and I was sending it to the cardiologist, and they're like, okay. Like, they weren't worried about it. They were like, that's fine. We want that puppy to get a little bit bigger anyway. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that puppy that died at seven months... Um, it was a Frenchie on top of things. I think that kind of sped things up, and it was just a really bad one. Mm -hmm. So, and we didn't actually confirm it was a PDA. We assumed it was a PDA because they didn't pursue cardiologist referral. Yeah. And so it could have been also, there could have been also a ventral septal defect. So basically a wall between the two sides of the heart that's just shoving blood around in there. You hear about that in people all the time when you're like, oh yeah, she was born with a hole in her heart. Like, it's you know, like, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. I was thinking as like a second grader when there was a girl in our class that had a hole in her. I was like, what does, I'm picturing blood just gushing around into the body. And it's like, oh no, no, no. Okay. What that means is there's like a hole between the two sides that's causing turbulence and so forth. 
So, um, okay, so great. Let's, uh, that's PRAAs with the causing the megasophagus, which is um, basically these puppies just can't, they don't thrive because they can't get nutrition down their esophagus into Mm -hmm. their tummies. Yep. It's the worst. It really is. And it really stinks because you do find out at eight weeks, which is just even more crushing because like either that puppy had just gone to a home or it, you know, the breeder had just transitioned it to you know, dry food, and then all of a sudden they start regurging, and you're like, oh, no. Uh-huh. And then it's, it's a huge disaster. Yeah, I had a puppy just come in, like, two weeks ago, and um, they were like, is this a little teeny tiny, like, 1.3 pounds? And they said they were um, throwing up the kibble from the breeder, and so they got in a, a different kibble, some other food, and then it was a little bit better. And I was like, is this puppy smaller than the other litter mates? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Um, and so I went and told you about it because I was going to be gone the next day or whatever. And you were like, uh-oh, PRA. Mm-hmm. Like, like within three seconds. Yeah. That was your... My biggest fear. Biggest fear. So we'll see on that. They haven't come back in to pursue more diagnostics yet because it was within that, like, 72 hours that the breeder gives They're for you to get into to the... the mm-hmm. Yeah. So I sent the breeder an email and I was like, we need more than 72 yeah. hours. Tonight. Maybe a month. Yeah, like, give me a second. <laughs> anyway... Um, okay, cool. So that's that. Um, that's I think that's the bulk of our congenital stuff. Yeah, that's the puppy things. Yeah, you don't really see it in cats. Yeah, and you don't. See uh, I did one time, yeah. and that's been probably seven years ago. I had a kid. Hopefully, I'll never see it. <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. That's those are just heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now most dogs get away with things um, until they're. I mean, you get. I, I guess DCM. If we're going. Like age wise, DCM is the next thing. Because it doesn't matter. Yeah, and or boxer cardiomyopathy kind of falls in that same mm-hmm. window. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about it? No, I'm liking okay. when you talk about okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I talk too much. Okay, so DCM, so dilated cardiomyopathy. This can be breed related. Can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the most common breed, and I even had an owner come in that was like, "Hey, I'm worried about this because." My dog's a Doberman. Um, that's going to be the most common breed um, to have DCM, um, I would say. Yeah, it is. I think yeah. Great Danes are next, maybe, yeah. but, at least in my experience. But but Dobies are the poster child. Yeah, and we're going to get into food to talk again. Yay, um, I love talking so, about food. <laughs> DCM used to be a Doberman disease. And then all of a sudden, I think in the 90s or early 2000s. What? When did they start noticing, like, the Goldens? No, gosh. It was, oh, with the Goldens. Diet-related or un? Diet-related. No, it was far later than that. It was um, because in 2010, when I graduated, it was, like, when all the grain-free stuff was becoming so hypey. And I was like, this isn't going to be good. good. Stop it. Yeah. And so I would say the FDA's, we could maybe look it up while we're we're just talking. But um, the FDA study wasn't, I bet you, until... I don't know, 2015? Can you guys hear the clicking? Um, On, what am I trying to say, like boutique diets? Yeah. Anyways, so this, the grain-free fad started, um, and we were, the FDA, well, veterinarians were like, hey, why are we seeing these breeds that aren't Dobermans, a lot of them, getting dilated cardiomyopathy like even little dogs yeah even little dogs and the common denominator started to appear and it was grain-free diet so all these people were feeding grain-free diets um 
concern for you know food allergies, which we've talked about, is not really. 2018. 2018. Yeah, I was gonna say it was a hot minute. Um, they, well, they started the the studies 2014 and 14, but didn't release the actual yeah, data until 19. I yeah, because when I started working at Northside, which is around 2014, Dr. Keith was already telling people, hey, hey, watch out. So we were already on that train. Yeah, I knew it wasn't going to go well. Um, so, yeah, so the, all these dogs, and it was like, a, it's the reason being um, is like a taurine deficiency along with, they think, um, something to do with the um, uh, the lentil-based. Yeah, the, the pea, based. yeah, pea proteins. and lentil proteins um, causing issues. So you can have dogs who develop DCM due to their diet, um, and, and that's obviously awful. The um, great news is, though, is they actually... Switch them. Yeah, you switch the diet and it goes away. And then you may not be aware of this, but... Because uh, you're just a pup <laughs> compared to me. But and, and I wasn't alive then either, but we talked a lot about it in vet school. Um, but in the 70s, yes. a lot of people were just feeding their cats, like, tuna. Yep. Apparently that was, like, a thing. Mm -hmm. And cats were getting DCM. And that's how they realized that cats were taurine deficient or mm -hmm. dependent mm -hmm. um if they were touring deficient they got dcm because they're touring dependent and yes. so all cat foods at that time started getting supplemented with touring dogs they believed were not um dependent mm -hmm. on their diets for touring but it turns out they still can be yes. if they're completely yeah and so deprived of it part of the treatment um you know working with cardiologists part of the treatment for those dogs obviously switch diet but then they will like heavily heavily supplement taurine mm -hmm. and a couple of vitamins too for and dogs. in that span you also put them on your cardiac meds yeah. to support the system and then you know hopefully you're going to pull them off yeah exactly exactly so yeah, yeah. that's dcm yeah which um, i think it maybe is worth just saying kind of like what dcm actually like is like yeah so we know it's dilated cardiomyopathy but what is that the heart muscles stretch until yeah. your heart basically becomes a softball or a basketball. Yeah, depending on your original size. Yeah, and so the, essentially the, the ventricles, which is supposed to be the biggest muscles of the heart, stretch out and they balloon and they become very thin. And weak. And weak. And then um, with DCM, you see, you know, we'll talk about it in a second, with like our small dogs, who are, our old small dogs who are getting um, left-sided heart failure. With DCM, mm -hmm. you see a lot of right-sided heart failure. So you can see like the belly fill up with fluid mm -hmm. and those types of things, which is the worst. Yeah, it really is ascites. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes we'll actually drain those dogs a little bit, get some of the fluid out. Just um, relief. Yeah, um, heart uh, heartworm dogs will do mm -hmm. that too, but because they're right sided. Yeah, and and essentially what the way I describe it to clients, there's two kind of things that I I tell them is one is like when you you know you go to the gym and there's like those it's easier if you could see me, but there's like those those workout things where you you know you have your arms up kind of like in that strongman position you got to bring your elbows together um and it's like if your arms get pulled way back all of a sudden you're not as strong as if your elbows are like only 12 inches apart when you start yeah. and you can push all kinds of things and so it's the same concept you're overstretching this muscle so it loses strength and then because that it's not contracting well like instead of these heart muscles you know we should we measure like on an m mode with echo we're measuring how close those ventricle walls are getting to each other when it squishes mm -hmm. and they're not they're not getting anywhere near each other they're just like twitching really and so in order to move the same volume of blood if it's squishing half as hard it has to move twice as fast mm -hmm. and so that heart rate will be like radically elevated which of course is exhausting 
mm-hmm. as you can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yawning like five times. Yawning. Guys, my eyelids just got so heavy. I don't know why. He's yawning and I'm trying to keep a straight face. <laughs> and I'm like, drink that coffee. <laughs> um, he's got his cold brew. Let's do it. Um, anyway, so basically, uh, then what will happen is they'll actually start to have arrhythmias that the AFib or the shoes in the dryer we were talking about. And then we have to continue adding medications because then if you have poor rhythm, there's like even less blood that's getting pumped efficiently. And I don't know. I mean, I've had dogs live for quite a while with DCM, but I don't know how they make it through a day. Yeah. I've had a couple um, who do really well. Um, And then I've, so you have the genetic ones, the food ones, and then you can have some other crazy things that cause DCM, one of them being an infectious disease, <gasps> yeah. which is one I bring up a lot, because in Texas, I saw it twice, um, and so, and it's rare, in quotations, is Chagas disease, um, which, you know, it if you Google it, it's going to tear <laughs> you, potentially, because it, it's a little freaky, um, but it's a, it's a essentially a parasitic disease that's spread by the kissing bug um and so it is more it's a south american um you know central america uh historically issue like disease that has slowly been creeping its way up as the bug as the bug creeps its way up and it's not that we haven't had the kissing bug but the behavior of the kissing bug it's a whole thing yeah but essentially over time it's been kind of creeping up and we're seeing it now even in Oklahoma um, there was a study done by one of my friends at Oklahoma State um, and one of the professors there and um, there the they did a just a antibody um, population test in in Tulsa uh, Tulsa shelter dogs and a good amount of them um, I believe it was don't quote me all right I believe it was 10 to 20 percent or something along we're those zero lines positive. we're zero positive um, and essentially, it it causes cardio uh, inflammation of the muscle um, tissue um, of the heart. So, uh, and then it can lead to DCM. So, I did have two dogs who had DCM secondary to Chagas in um, Texas, um, and they don't respond well to treatment. Yeah, yeah, think. yeah, yeah, yeah. So those are tough. Um, so yeah, occasionally we'll, when, especially when you have a dog that's not been on a grain-free diet, isn't a classic breed for yep. DCM, that's when we're going to want to send out that test. Like, mm, yeah. Yeah. Question. What's up with you? Question. All and right. The, uh, those two dogs that I had were um, from Southern Texas. They came up to Dallas, so that's why probably yeah. that they were positive, but yeah. 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 So hopefully we don't see much of that here, but, but maybe you're listening from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently there was like there have been people in different countries uh, oh, that's cool yeah I've got some like report from uh, Spotify that we were like international uh-huh. <laughs> I was like shout out to the people in Europe okay anyway uh, alright so here's the deal um, the most common though the most common form of heart disease we see is mitral valve disease yeah. or mitral valve dysplasia My, I mean they're, they're similar in the sense that they cause the same part of the heart to have issues, but they have a little different etiology or Mm -hmm. origin. Um, But mitral valve disease is by far and large the most common kind of heart disease we see. Mm -hmm. So mitral valve is the valve that is keeping the blood from uh, inappropriately escaping the left ventricle. Um, so that it gets shunted, or so that it doesn't shunt away from the body whenever the the big contraction of the heart happens. So the left dub, the, that's the, left, the dub is the left ventricle squishing the blood across the whole body. That takes a lot of force, and um, that mitral valve takes a whopping. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
usually these are old dogs. Mm-hmm. Usually they're small breeds. Yep. And um, all poster uh, child, the Cavalier, Cavalier. which they have the actual mitral valve dysplasia, which Mm -hmm. is like a congenital thing. And they'll start getting that as early as six or seven years of age. Yep. Um, But um, the other, I guess, like if you're going to take it the other way, you know, your other kind of poster child is going to be like the Chihuahua Mm -hmm. that has dental disease. So throwback to the dental episode that Dr. Goodall and I did a couple few months ago. And we talked a lot about how this is one of the leading causes of of heart disease in small breed dogs is actually dental disease. Mm -hmm. So the bacteria from the gum line is traveling uh, through the bloodstream, finds its little home on the mitral valve, sets up shop, and then causes endocarditis, which is inflammation um, of those valves, or you can just have degeneration, um, so endocardiosis, um, and those can cause a lot of... uh, Those valves get knobby and thickened, and you can, you know, maybe get a slight improvement, but the damage usually yeah it's like if your door is broken halfway off like you can you can still like if you're if we want to take an analogy in terms of like let's say heat and air and it's summertime and you want it to be cool in your house and your door's half broken Mm -hmm. you can turn up your air conditioner and make (laughs) make some progress but it's never going to be what it was when you had a solid door yeah so and that's kind of how how this works and so um you know, obviously now if there's dental disease involved, getting the teeth cleaned, treating with antibiotics to resolve any of the bacteria that might be clumping up on those valves can yep. definitely make huge progress. But um, if you're, you know, a cavi or if this is just old dog kind of degeneration, then you're basically stuck on cardiac meds yeah. from here forward. Yeah. And um, you can also get the other side. So mitral valve disease, you could also get tricuspid valve disease yeah less commonly super less commonly so, but, but it does something happen. we mentioned yeah um i see it more in big dogs yes that is more of the big dog thing um and so how do these you know because this is the most common one how are they going to present they're going to you're going to notice that your dog's coughing you're going to notice maybe the breathing's a little bit more labored and like working on breathing a little bit more often maybe a little exercise intolerance um and that's when you come in and we go listen to the lungs and we hear the the crackles on the lungs and so essentially there's fluid building up on the lungs due to left-sided heart failure and that's when we put you on our three meds that we commonly use which is going to be which is to be said i think for all these heart diseases they're going to be really really similar they're very similar lasix or furosemide is the other name um benazapril we like to we typically use benazapril here um and alapril is another another one um, and then <clears throat> Pimobentin. Yeah, Betmedin. Betmedin. The EPIC study. EPIC study. I and love so it that they named it. I push the EPIC study a lot. So if your dog comes in and it has like a heart murmur, like a three out of six heart murmur, but we're not in congestive heart failure, um, the EPIC study gets brought up mm-hmm. frequently. And so what that is, is they did a study with dogs that they put on Pimobentin or Betmedin, and which is sadly an expensive drug, but they yeah. put them on it and they did not go into heart failure for like 15 months longer, longer than, than the dogs, without, dogs it. without it yeah and so my dad's dog here's a tale my dad's dog deadly um he has uh, a three to four out of six heart murmur um and he's had it for like two years now three i mean uh, he's 13 yeah it's gotta be two it's gotta like, be a while longer and so i was like dad Dr. Keith talked to you about the epic study. I know. He, he totally like, blew me off. 
and so yeah, because there's Dr. Dane in Texas, <laughs> and I'm left here with his family trying to communicate the epic study. <laughs> and so I text my dad, and I have to like I send him charts. I send I'm like start vet medin, and he did. I convinced him, mm-hmm. and he's Dudley's been on it, and it's been two years for a 13 year old dog to not have gone into congestive heart failure. Knock on wood. Right. Um, that's probably particle. That's board, probably particle board, but we're, <laughs> we're that's a, fine. We're I don't really trailer, believe in knocking fine. on wood, but um, uh, so you know, it, it works and it's awesome, and so it's kept him. It's it's financially it's it's a commitment, but it's kept him out of heart failure, which is also a financial commitment. So, yeah. Um, I also just want to say quickly, like, there is a compounded version of Pimobendin, but the studies are, um, they have terrifying evidence that suggests that the compounded just is not as stable and as accurate. So, a lot of times, I, like, I'm a huge fan of generics, Mm -hmm. and not this time. No, sadly. Yeah, and the liquid's even worse. Mm -hmm. And so, I actually, for, like, cats and stuff, because cats will also go on this, um, I just have him crush the dose and liquefy it because it is chewable. Yeah. So um, I just, I'm, that's the one time I'm like, no, on the compounded. Mm-hmm. I've been convinced. Yeah. And so that's yeah. that. That's and so that's that. that. Yeah. I think uh, the last kind of thing uh, would be like cats um, because we want to pin that donkey tail on mm-hmm. real quick. Um, they will get heart disease. Um, a lot of times, what they get is called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So it's the opposite opposite of dilated. Yes. And what that means essentially is that their um, heart muscles are becoming really the ventricle wall is getting thicker. Swole. They, yeah, swole. <laughs> <laughs> because we're from Oklahoma, swole. Swole. Uh, and they're getting uh, and so the 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 space inside of there. If you can imagine, like, instead of, like, we have an egg for a heart, instead mm-hmm. of the egg getting bigger, like, a, going from a chicken egg to an ostrich egg, instead, it's like the shell became, like, half an inch thick yeah. instead of, like, a few, you yeah. know, whatever, like, a millimeter thick. I don't know how ch- thick a chicken mm-hmm. egg is. Someone can Google that and let me know. But, um, essentially, the space inside the egg now is way, way less. And so, it's having to pump twice as fast as well but for a different reason so the dilated cardiomyopathy dogs it's because they cannot push very much blood at once because the heart muscle is weak but for cats it's because it's only holding a fraction of the volume it used to so it has to go a lot of times these are hyperthyroid cats um or just or just genetic so like our main coons uh, the Bengals, yep. um, they're they're kind of the poster children for those. Personal experience. Oh, yeah. Callie, my cat. Does um, she have congenital or? She had congenital, so she was three or four. Um, I, she was a lemon. I think she had a lot of issues. Yeah. She was kind of a, uh, I got her through the clinic because um, she was urinating in the previous owner's home. You know, going into that, she was perfectly fine, but she did pee a lot. So I knew that she probably had some underlying kidney disease. Um, but she had a heart murmur that my colleague heard, a very quiet one. And mm-hmm. you didn't hear it every time. And she had an echo done, she had HCM. And sadly, one of the more common ways that cats present with that disease is um, they pass at home. Yeah. And like a sudden death. And yeah. so she passed at home. Um, yeah. We were, we were gone for like 24 hours. We came back and yeah, she had passed. Yeah, I had a my own experience with it as well but it was on the opposite end of the spectrum i had a geriatric cat that developed Mm -hmm. hyperthyroidism and over time he wound up with um 
hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and then he actually expired the other way, which is where he threw a saddle thrombus or a blood clot, which and is which is horrible. Yeah, and you have a, a family story of that as well. Yes, and younger male cat who threw yeah. a, which is also another like, you know, they're younger, like two to five male cat cat that comes in screaming and not using their back legs yeah That's which like is the saddle thrombus yes story. where essentially they're throwing a blood clot and it's causing uh i don't know how to like how would you describe that like so they they essentially their heart because <clears throat> there's not good flow in the heart because of all the changes to the heart muscles I, they, they develop you can even see those thrown by in the heart in the mm-hmm. atrium and ventricle sometimes and then they'll shoot those off and then they get caught in the um, vasculature that's kind of branches off um, in the back of the body. Um, it kind of wise Where off. Where it starts to split out for yeah. the legs, and essentially. And it catches right there, and then they lose, essentially, blood flow back there, which becomes very painful, and then their feet get cold, and they can't use their legs. Yeah. And, and you can occasionally pull these cats through that, but then it tends to be, like, it will happen again, mm-hmm. and it's just a lot of times you can't, and then they've already got heart disease that mm-hmm. you're dealing with, and uh, so a lot of times, like for my cat, ended up being a euthanasia yeah. situation. So and then uh, le- I feel like it's less commonly. I don't know the actual numbers on it, but um, cats coming in like congestive heart failure. Yeah, where they're they're having issues breathing, more like a dog. Um, and those are weird because those x-rays, there's a classic kind of x-ray presentation for dogs. Cats can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And so we have, uh, we'll take the x-rays and we'll be like, that looks wrong. And then you'll be like. It doesn't follow any pattern that I would normally think for a heart. But then we have a test called the ProBNP, which tells you, like, is there um, stretching of the heart muscle and kind of damage to the heart muscle? Yeah, because that little protein gets released and increased volumes when they're stretching. Exactly. And so you run that test, and then it's positive, and then you say, okay, well, if it's quacking like a duck and walking like a duck and we have a positive ProBNP, let's treat this like uh, heart, um, congestive heart failure, and see if we respond to treatment. Which was your cat yesterday. Which was my cat yesterday, y'all. Came in breathing weird and uh, abnormal x-rays, did a ProBNP. It was abnormal ProBMP, started on Lasix and um, Pibobendin, and then um, we're going to hopefully, you know, potentially start Clopidogrel um, to help with warding off any thrombi yeah. if we respond to the Lasix first. Yeah, yeah the other thing we didn't uh, say to, um, and now my brain, it just totally popped out of there. Um, oh, spironolactone. Sometimes we'll use in dogs, yes. too. I just wanted Definitely to say PCM. that in case, in case you're... Uh, ever in a situation where you have a dog with heart failure and you're like, wait, why am I on this other drug they didn't mention? It's just because we forgot to say it. That's commonly um, used in DCM and right side of heart failure. Yeah, and, and then, like, I think it's worth touching on, too, back to the diagnostic process. You know, like our dilated cardiomyopathy dogs or the mitral valves, you take an x-ray in that heart silhouette because an x-ray is a two-dimensional image you can see how big it is. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, okay, this makes sense. But with cats, because if they get the hypertrophy, meaning their muscles getting thicker towards the inside mm-hmm. of their body, their silhouette looks completely normal in yeah. most cases. You can get, So that's why echo becomes yeah. so important. You can get like the strawberry heart is what they call it. Yeah. That, that can be very subtle. Yeah. Um, so yeah, looking with the ultrasound of the echo. Yeah, unless you have serial x-rays of that cat's mm-hmm. chest to compare it's heart. It's tough. Yeah, it's so hard. So echo is, is definitely something we lean on heavily, um, listening. So, you know, your first line is auscultation or listening to the heart. Uh, clinical symptoms are important. X-rays are absolutely imperative to assess the lung status, if nothing else. And then echo to determine function on the inside. 
Um, and then the BMP, we can use it in dogs. They are starting to get normal values for like, you know, so what is a normal value for mm -hmm. a dog versus abnormal? But you have such other like powerful ways of diagnosing heart disease. You don't lean on it as much, but for the cats, screening it helpful. is so helpful, so helpful. Yeah. Um, and just because you get a positive BMP doesn't, doesn't mean no, not but really it's not. nice if you get a negative, you can kind of go, okay, that's not super on my radar yeah. then. Um, so those are kind of the, the main things that you put together. Um, you should not ever interpret heart function with just an echo alone. You mm -hmm. have to have the x-rays for that um, to understand what's happening in the rest of the body. Mm -hmm. um, and simultaneously, you know, with just an x-ray, you're kind of limited on the primary cause of the heart disease without your echo mm -hmm. so they just they go hand in hand we do cart what we call cardiac workups all the time blood pressure is helpful but it's so hard to do accurately blood pressures yeah and then we also will check lab works and then uh ecgs ECG, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so especially on anesthetized animals we run ecgs on those dogs the entire time they're anesthetized and that's going to help you understand the electrical current throughout the heart which we didn't even dabble in. Yeah. But anytime I am listening to a dog and I hear a arrhythmia where I'm like, this beat sounds wrong. Yeah. Uh, I will just bring them to the back and hook them up. And yeah, you just put, sometimes you, just, you see yeah. VTAC and then you're like panicking Meow. calling Dr. Yeah. Keith at 8 p.m. <laughs> Hypothetically. Hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, the ECGs are super helpful for arrhythmia situations. Um, and that's kind of how we're, how we're assessing these heart cases. So, um, auscultation alone is never enough and often neither is x-ray or ultrasound. It really takes this multimodal approach. Mm -hmm. So, okay. I don't know how long that was cause I can't see our recording. Oh. Are you going to switch it over? Yeah, cause I'm this might be, uh, yeah. 41 minutes. It's yeah. Not it's bad. not as bad as I thought. Cause I felt like I felt like we could have gone on forever, and we could have. And we could have. And I was honestly about to, like, stop Dr. Keith and be like, we should part two this. I almost did the same thing right before we started the drugs. I was like, wait, let's go into the, how the heart works first, and then we'll go into how do we, we treat it. We need to do a part two. Yeah, maybe we'll circle back and, and dabble into this in a little more detail on function and so forth, because um, our goal always with this is that if you are a person, obviously, I, I love that people just find this interesting and just want to listen, even if they're mm -hmm. not in that situation. Um, that makes me so happy. But um, my biggest thing is when I have a dog that I've just diagnosed with a problem, mm -hmm. I want them to be able to reference back this podcast as a way to listen on their own time and their own space and hear it again when it's not like, hi, I know you thought your dog had allergies, but your dog's in congestive yeah. heart failure. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. And your brain just kind of goes into panic shutdown mode and you hear like one out of every 12 things I say to you. This is a way for you to have that space to re-listen yeah. as much as you need to. Quickly, prognosis. Yeah. Um, yeah. For, for cats <clears throat> who just have a heart murmur, prognosis can be really good. Um, yeah, because they may have completely normal heart and just have a murmur, yeah. a physiological murmur. Cats with clinical disease prognosis is, becomes much more guarded, I would say, because um, yeah. now we're getting worried about you know developing throwing thrombi and clots. Um, puppies, you know, if they go through the procedures well, like prognosis is good post post op. I've seen some of those PDA puppies last quite a while actually before yeah. developing clinical disease in yes. school. Um, but that's not a, a norm, probably. Mm -hmm. For mitral valve disease, we have, a, I would say, a fairly good prognosis with treatment. Yeah. Um, but when that it heart disease... It depends on when you catch it and you catch why it they have it. And why they have it. And then if that heart disease... Because we do um, pretty frequent monitoring um, 
when we when we do diagnose it if that heart disease all of a sudden worsens really rapidly that's when we start me and natalie and dr keith uh start getting pretty honest and we're like hey every day's a gift at this point yeah we don't know what's gonna happen because as we know in people too like heart issues can be suddenly bad yeah and so i would say if they're being controlled on their meds at our rechecks and we're like wow that's awesome I feel like it's a great prognosis for a a period of time. Yeah, I think textbook says once they hit congestive heart failure, which we didn't even dabble in this, like, man, look at us go. But congestive heart failure means that the lungs are becoming congestive because of the traffic jam in the heart. And so you start seeing the pulmonary veins enlarge, and then that pressure in those veins squishes fluid out into the lungs. And so they'll have interstitial edema, which is like, you know, like, you think of like pregnant lady ankles, that's edema. Um, well, that's happening in the lungs. Her fluid is getting in the tissue and it can't get out. And so from the from the diagnosis of congestive heart failure, and again, failure doesn't mean like the heart failed to beat. It mm-hmm. means it failed to keep blood going, blood going enough in the right direction to not have it affect other organs. Mm-hmm. It's failing to keep other organs unaffected. And so um, the, the textbook timeline on that is 18 months from congestive heart failure to death. However, I have definitely seen dogs on both sides of that yeah. spectrum, like, like go down uh, just very, very quickly in a period of a few months up to having dogs in congestive heart failure for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, especially that's why if it's people like, ask me that, the prognosis yeah. question, and I'm like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> textbook is that, but like we've seen it go every single way. Yeah, and I yeah I don't want to get pinned for that because yeah. you you know you don't want to be like gloom and doom, but you also don't want to be like hearts and flowers, mm-hmm. um, because it just it, every pet is so unique. Yeah. But I have seen many many dogs being congestive heart failure for years. Mm-hmm. DCM dogs, it depends on why they have it. I've seen them go down like bad down in mm-hmm. two months from zero clinical symptoms to dead in two months. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so every dog's just kind of its own little story. You give them the best tools you can give them and you monitor them closely. And once you get a feel for it, you have a little bit better idea and you just, every day is a gift, yep. as you said. So anyway, but I mean, such is life, right? Yeah. Every day really is a gift. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Well, maybe we'll pick up and break down other stuff. Otherwise, we're going to sign off for now. Uh, if you're still listening, we appreciate you. And um, holler if you have questions. Anything else? No, that's it. All right. Bye, guys. Bye bye.